Radio. Welcome to The Branch Talk this Saturday, the 23rd of April, 2022. I'm your host, Olive Najuma, and I am more than excited about today's branch because with a special guest, we will be having a conversation on an issue that everyone I know, young and old, is concerned about. Over the years, we have seen statistics ranking Uganda as one of the poorest countries in the world. It's rather disheartening that a big number of Uganda's population are living below the poverty line and can hardly afford a meal a day. This is not just me, I say, because in the first half of 2021, Uganda's finance ministry reported that 28% of Ugandans were poor. That rate had increased from 18% before the pandemic, and according to a report by the United Nations Development Programme on the impacts of COVID-19, some 4.4 million workers in Uganda's informal sector were expected to fall into extreme poverty. This is a statistic that largely came true due to the COVID-19-related restrictions. But even before the pandemic, Ugandans were poor despite the country possessing natural wealth. One man has taken it upon himself to empower Ugandans out of poverty. That man is none other than Joseph Kabuleta, the founder of National Economic Empowerment Dialogue. Kabuleta is also a former presidential candidate, a journalist, author, sports analyst and a pastor. He will be joining me on this branch when we come back. Hey, I know you heard about us. Yo, this is Drake. It's Nirmani. Whiskey. Kanye West. Chloe Bailey. What's good, y'all? This is the Mayor Capella Green. This is Lil Nas X. Yo, what up? This is your boy Meek Mill right here. Hey. This is RX Radio. Radio. Are you concerned about the level of poverty in Uganda and do you need help to change that? Joseph Kabuleta will surely help with that. Welcome to the Branch Talk, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. Yes, thank you for sparing the time. So, firstly, what inspired you to found the National Economic Empowerment Dialogue and who is your target audience? Um, what inspired me is uh, more or less summarized by what you just said um, in that um, you, you know brief as you are preparing for the show yes. for the introduction to the show is uh, the extreme poverty in the country mm-hmm. which um, as far as I'm concerned is a bit of a quagmire because um, on the other hand there is extreme wealth in the country yes so we've had scenarios where people are living in areas where there is a lot of wealth. I'll give you an example. In um, uh, Busia, where recently um, uh, a mine, one of the biggest gold mines in Africa, was launched and supposed to be run by the Chinese. And it is producing a lot of wealth. I'm talking about about 1,000 kilos of gold every day. Whoa. And yet, every day, every day of the calendar year, um, and that's about uh, about $55 million going by the current not dollar rate Uh, uh, gold gold price rate wow so so that's about 55 million dollars every day of the calendar year and yet the people in that place are poor and i'm talking about extremely poor i'm talking about roads in the place which are unpassable and all the infrastructure dead i'm talking about the nearby hospital that doesn't have anything I'm talking about uh, one of the highest rates of 
uh, mothers dying and giving birth are amidst 1,000 kilos of gold mined every day. Every day. Now, how can this be possible? Now, these are, this is the reason because, first of all, for anybody to keep people detached from the wealth that they have, they have to have done something to them. And one of the things is, of course, um, they've given them handouts, they've uh, things which are not going to help them, and yoga, parish mode, and all that rubbish. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, while, of course, they are taking away the real wealth, okay? Yes. And now they, they manage to put people's eyes away from what is what I would call the real wealth. And we are now looking at small things, small handouts here and there, you know, um, um, so that's that, 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 that's what actually causes all these issues because now the people are never empowered. That's why I say national economic empowerment because empowerment is about giving people the ability to make their own wealth. Okay. Yes. Now, when people start making their own wealth, they can't sit in the midst of a gold mine and then they are dying of poverty because something in them clicks, something in their mind clicks that this is money. But now, if they are living off handouts then it is so easy for them to not realize that they are looking for peanuts here, yet actually the real world is right beneath their feet. They don't get right. to see the big picture. They don't ever get to see the big picture. And now that has been by deliberate design mm. of this leadership. It has been very deliberate by this leadership to keep people away from the big picture. And now the, that's one story. I can tell you that that story is duplicated all over the country. Mm. Okay? I can tell you it's a bay where there is even diamond and oil plus a lot of gold, the same story. Okay? Okay. Uh, I can tell you in Karamoja, the same story. Mm. I can tell you in Bunyoro, where I come from, where there is the oil, the same story. Getting people to see that this oil is actually wealth and you should not be poor because you're sitting right on top of in the midst or on top of it yes uh now to get uh, our biggest challenge has been to get people to actually see that the person who is giving you this handout Mm. is actually taking a whole load of money away from From your area yes and which is supposed to at least you're supposed to have a share of that Mm. now if people can actually get themselves around to thinking like that to seeing things that way and we have gone some distance as you can see mm. um then that would be the first step towards empowering them um uh, they have to relate what i mean because this is like adults thinking like children mm. it's like um uh, a child crying for a sweet when they have money there but they don't relate that this money can actually buy a whole lot of sweets but they want the actual sweet mm. now this is a real thing you know and it's a big tragedy okay so tell us more about the strategy and the tools the national economic empowerment dialogue is using to reach as many ugandans as possible on this poverty alleviation uh, endeavor first of all uh, the first strategy is to uh, inform mm-hmm. and uh, let people know for instance you get to those places where all this wealth is being dug and they actually have no idea they just see there is a fence around here and uh, people driving there, drive out. So we see trucks going in, trucks going out. And somehow the locals do not interest themselves in what is going on there. For, and, and so the first strategy is to inform mm. and um, to make sure that people are informed about what is actually happening. Now, information is the beginning of, um, of, 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 of any form of empowerment. Okay? Because the people who disempower, first of all, 
disinform or <laughs> spread fake or news <laughs> spread fake news or ensure that the people whom they want to disempower are yeah. uninformed either uninformed or misinformed mm. so the real information is the first step now there's a story that i tell of um, a, a true story and it's actually turned into a movie called big eyes okay. 2014 of a lady called Margaret, she was called Margaret Ulbrich, later to be called Margaret Keane. Now here is a lady who was a very talented artist and used to draw unique pictures of human beings with big eyes, uh, unusually big eyes. And for some reason her art spread across, you know, almost all of California, especially the San Francisco area and so on. But then she had a husband who was very greedy and um, manipulative. So what the husband did is, um, when they got married and she became Margaret Keane, he convinced her to sign off her art pieces purely as Keane, just Keane, without mm. the Margaret. So um, ultimately, the man went and told everybody he's the artist and he, you know, um, was selling the pictures for a lot of money, was building a big estate. This is a true story and uh, turned into a Hollywood movie. And was building a big estate of her art. In the meantime, he would keep her home, in her studio, hardly ever moved, make sure very few people even ever come to know about that, you know, she could come to visit her. So basically she was isolated and drawing all he did, she would draw pieces, draw pieces, and when she would complain, he would placate her with uh, some nice dresses, take her out once in a while, but make sure he doesn't take her to hotels where her art is hanging because then she would start asking. How come you know my I, I art, don't get yes. my art is here and I don't get anything out of it? Mm. So he, he kept up that charade for a very long time, and the woman kept on churning out beautiful art pieces. The man kept on buying buildings and, buying and making money until one day mm-hmm. a woman came out of the town and came and visited her. Now her art studio was a secret place away from the house, so even her visitors would not go there. So nobody presumed that she's the artist. She just they just knew she was a wife. Or to a very famous artist. <laughs> yes. So this person goes and actually um, uh, enters the studio and finds her painting her pieces. She says, are you sure you're the one who paints these pieces? He said, as you can see, I'm painting one. She says, no, it's not believable. I thought it's your husband. She said, no, my husband cannot even paint anything. He can't even paint the simplest thing. So she demonstrates to this woman. Then the woman tells her, your art pieces are very famous across town. They are collecting a lot of money. Your husband is a very rich man. He's busy, you know, uh, all over the city with rich and powerful men going, helping from one banquet to another of your money and so on. So now Margaret Keane eventually was empowered, but her first empowerer was the woman who told her what her art pieces were worth. The woman who gave her the information regarding her her art pieces. Exactly. Now, eventually, it turns out that she comes, demands for what is hers, demands for the entire estate, and says because it was built of her own talent. And the case ended up in court. Now, when they got to court, the the husband, who was called Walter King, was insisting that he's the artist. The woman said, I'm the artist. Nobody could differentiate the artist. So when the judge got some kind of statement, he just ordered the court to get each of them a piece of, you know, canvas and give them the paints, start painting right here in court. Mm-hmm. Walter King suddenly said he had got a muscle pull in his arm, he can't paint, <laughs> and so on. Reminds Why me of the wife... two mothers uh, with uh, King Solomon. <laughs> uh, exactly. Now, now uh, Ma- Margaret King 
um, uh, painted within the show, within 30 minutes, was clear to the whole court mm. that she's the actually the artist because she had already put up a sketch and so on. Okay. So the judge ruled in her favor. Now my point is that for now we are doing the work of that woman who came and informed her mm. about uh, the true worth of her art pieces. Now after that we shall move on to the next stage. We expect these people to stand up and actually just like this woman to stand up and actually start demanding For a, bit of, a slice of what is theirs mm. and actually it has started because uh when you go to hear the noises in karamoja right now they are tired of being exploited and they were there at our conference on uh easter monday mm. and they expressed themselves they said we're tired of being exploited we have issues here first of all they say they want to disarm us mm. but we have pokots and turkanas attacking our cows from kenya but the funny thing is, UPDF say, we'll protect your cows. You don't need to protect yourself. We'll chase away the rustlers. So when the cattle is rustled and UPDF go to rescue it, then when they rescue the cattle, they don't give it back to the owners. They oh. steal it. Really? Yes. A colleague of mine was uh, who comes from the north actually was saying the same thing. And she was like, you, you, they keep talking about rustlers, but where are the rustlers? So where are the cows that are taken back from the rustlers? They are not. They, what happens is actually recently when the people of Karamoja started making noise, there was even a picture in the front page of uh, of one of the newspapers saying um, uh, UPDF handing over cattle to rustlers. But that's because people have made noise <laughs> before. Mm. They just uh, because Karamajong themselves are making noise, and actually there's been a bit of genocide there. I'm sure you've seen some videos. Yes, and we've seen the videos, but of course, uh, government came out and refuted the claims. Now, with the, the difference between, of course, because for us who are there as need, okay, mm. we went right there. <laughs> you were in Boruto. So we talked to the real people involved. We are not talking to ghosts. We are not. It's not something that can be refuted. We are talking to people who are involved on the ground. People who witnessed. Okay. Okay. Um. So, these people came to the conference on Monday, and they actually even had pictures. They had. They, they had all sorts of things to show evidence, and it was right there. So, now, that means that they have gone to the next stage of our. You know, uh, first of all, the, of our strategy. First of all, there was the information, but now they have moved on to the next stage, which is demand. Turning that information, yeah, demand, exactly. Turning that information into some form of demand, mm -hmm. and then after that, we expect that the rest of the country will take a lead. For instance, the people in Sebei, where there is um, oil, mm. which is already being sold crude, there are traffic are crossing from there. Uh -huh. uh, we have pictures of these things, by the traffic are crossing from <laughs> I there. I actually mean to, to talk to you more about the oil when we come back from the break okay <laughs> this is the branch talk my name is olive and on the phone with me is joseph kableta the founder of the national economic empowerment dialogue don't go away ladies and gentlemen it's my honor to present to you rx radio Welcome back to the Branch Talk. My name is Olive Najuma. And on this branch, on this 23rd day of April 2022, I am having a conversation about poverty in Uganda. How do we get rid of poverty in Uganda? Because it is said that as a country, we are sitting on massive natural wealth. So how do we as a nation, as citizens, as Ugandans, empower ourselves to get out of the poverty that we are grappling with, to earn 
to gain from this natural wealth that we have. Uh, these questions and more are the reason why I'm hanging out with uh, Joseph Kabuleta. Uh, he, he has decided to make it his life's work to empower Ugandans out of poverty. So, Mr. Kabuleta. Yes. You were earlier uh, telling us about the strategy for need. But now I want us to move on and go to uh, some other initiatives that the government has put in place to alleviate poverty. President Museveni in February launched the 490 billion shillings parish development model. And he said that this is a vehicle meant to eradicate poverty through execution of development activities at the parish level. Now, my question here is, one, is this initiative what Uganda needs to alleviate poverty? And two, what distinguishes the parish development model from Operation Wealth Creation and Bonabagangawale, among others? Uh, I'll start with answering the last question. What differentiates them? Nothing apart from the timing. <laughs> apart from the fact that the other ones came before this one. Mm. Number one. And number two, what um, uh, differentiates it is that the other ones come in the year before an election year. This one came a year after the election year. Yes. And now there's a reason why, because it is um, uh, it's it's actually a parish political model, and what it, what he's doing is Museveni is trying to uh, uh, galvanize um, uh, his his support base by giving them some government funds in the name of some development thing, but um, the purpose is for them to galvanize for the succession. Uh, for the Mohosi project. So it's actually a parish Mohosi project model. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And I'm, I'm telling parish you, uh-huh. Mohosi project model. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. What, because you look at the parishes and the people who actually are in charge of the money at the parishes, mm. and you see there is uh, an NRM chairman eh? mm. uh, as part of the people who are in charge. What does an NRM chairman know about development? I mean, what if they had said that there is a district agriculture officer or somebody in charge, you know, um, uh, anthropologist, somebody to help people to deal with worms which are attacking, something like that. Exactly. You see, eh? mm. But uh, when you put in an NRM chairman at that level, then we know it's political. Uh. Okay. And all the people, it's all political. It's actually political. And nothing is going to come out of it for two reasons. First of all, there is nothing that Museveni does that can be aimed at taking people out of poverty because he's the master of creating poverty. Everything he has done since he came to power is to put people in poverty. And that works perfectly well for him. So um, uh, what we are seeing is um, um, uh, what, what, <laughs> a vampire pretending to be controlling the blood bank. Yet it feeds on the blood itself. <laughs> exactly. Now that's so we, we can't trust. Of course, we know he's the one who has created all this poverty. What do you think is the cause of all these scenarios? I mean, considering what you've already said, the natural wealth mm. that we are so rich in. I showed our mineral map mm. at, uh, at at our conference. Very loaded, very loaded. I was I was even struggling to get space in the map mm. to show all minerals that we have. Okay, so I decided to just show the major ones. Okay, because the minor ones actually cannot be fitted in a small space that uh, that can be put up on screen. That's how rich we are as a country. Mm. So why then has the country been divided as a piece of estate between one family? 
okay mm. the son takes this side the mother takes the other side the father takes this side the in-laws take that that's the how Uganda has been divided mm. okay, that's that's how Uganda has been divided up okay so now anything and for that to happen and for that to succeed and for that to go into the next generation the people have to be disempowered mm. the population has to be disempowered and a disempowered population makes it so easy for successions to take place uh, for people to become disillusioned and this has happened in other countries you know go to countries like let's say equatorial guinea countries like togo um, um even guinea bissau where one president lives to there and there's three four generations of one of, of, know, the, of the of, same family the father the, the son fam- and uh, the, the son <laughs> one what happens is they have one thing in common mm. there's a first class of people who are like very wealthy who are driving all sorts of luxury cars and spending all their time in France and places like that and then there is a fifth um, um, level very poor poor i mean there is a big divide between the two mm. so the people in the lower divide um, are so desperate and the the only thing they can hope for is somebody in the upper echelon to want you for some reason maybe uh, you give birth to a beautiful daughter and somebody from up there falls in love with her like that's the only attachment you have to the world in your country mm. and it has been set up over years okay and this is what Museveni wants for our country by the way it's been set up over years where they are real servants who are there to serve the other people like the nobles like and the, the nobles, nobles are Uh, and the nobles are up there they have all the wealth they own everything and by the way if it goes to the second and third generation it becomes very difficult to actually break mm, because I agree. even because because people grow up believing that these things are not ours so what it we becomes have right now, yeah so it becomes something they are like they become agreeable to it like this exactly. this this has been like this who are we to change yeah. it Exactly. So there is also exactly. the question of it of uh, whether it is practical to have all these poverty alleviation programs yet prices of essential commodities continue skyrocketing but people are earning less or nothing at all. Of course it's all part of a system. Let me tell you something. NRM has built a system and it's been so deliberately crafted and so well done that we put money in one pocket money is being taken out of the two pockets. <laughs> behind your trouser and it has been entrenched at every level mm. okay um uh, you, you you see i'll give you an example now the fuel mm. they say fuel went up because trucks were closed exactly now trucks were open fuel stays up and now they're okay? saying it's the ukrainian war <laughs> uh, ukrainian war yet our fuel went up before ukrainian war i know then then after that um uh, there's electricity How mm. can you you know we are in the top 10 countries of paying the highest electricity bills yes uh expected the, the top 10 actually were, according to some estimates we are number 2 after Turkey so how can a poor country like Uganda be number 2 in electricity tariffs which means we are paying um, um uh, actually the previous when I checked we were paying the same amount of money for electricity as somebody in Sweden Sweden that's a first Sweden. world Country. Sweden's GDP per capita is $54,000. And what is Ours, Uganda's GDP per capita? $900. Dollars. So that means they are more than 50 times better than us, but we are paying, we are the, paying same the same for power. So how are you going to be rich? Then how are you going to have industries when industries are running out of here because of power? Mm. Everything revolves around three power. things. 
fuel, power, and taxes. Yes. How are industries going to come here when we have a very, very unrealistic double double taxation, triple taxation sometimes? Mm. Okay. Then interest rates. Also, a way of impoverishing people. Okay. Mm. Education. First of all, you pay a lot of money for your education, and then it's, uh, it doesn't have the value it once had. Okay. At the time that um, uh, that people of my age graduated. I mean, it meant something to have a degree. It means nothing now. There was even okay, a time when it meant something to have a senior six certificate. You could exactly. start from there, but right yeah, now yeah, you like can't. You were, you, were, you were considered something. Now yes. you're a graduate. I mean, people finish graduate and they go to master's the way you finish first year and go to second year. <laughs> that time, True. master's was an option. Graduate, you are something. Yes. And yet, actually, the amount of money you're paying to even get that paper which is no longer as valuable but as it once used to be. Mm. It's so high. Very because high. Because at that time, I'll give you an example. I went to Namiyang College. Now, in Namiyang College, very few kids were had never expelled for school fees. Mm. They were expelled for being... Even those children who were doing well in class who didn't pay school fees. The master would threaten, threaten, but they would finish one year, go to the second year. Because education was so subsidized by government, there was a disinclination to cut off somebody's education because they didn't have money, especially if they were doing well in class. Mm. So I know people who spent four years and sat for their S4, and they had, I don't think they even paid any school fees, but they were model students, they were very good in class, they were well behaved, and the headmaster could not send them away. He could not. He would threaten and threaten, but he never did. And then the next thing the guy knows, he's in HSC, then he goes to university where it was free. Government you know. sponsorship government sponsorship that time it was there was all only government sponsorship by the way oh. <laughs> there was no private so he goes there finishes education and it's worth something and there was a job at the end of the day exactly because but now we, are we not have that many people yeah but so, now we have graduates so very many who are driving for the borders and doing in all sorts of jobs and now I'll, I'll give you an example so now there's the taxation there's the fuel there's the electricity there's the school fees you pay there's the hospital bills that you pay mm. i'll tell you that so many of my corporate friends eh, mm. are one small health emergency away from becoming completely destitute i, I know one person families which had two car families okay mm. living in fenced houses and so on but one health emergency somebody needs a small operation outside of this car and then they are back to the, they are real destitute no so the now, pandemic and, has actually revealed all these things you saw yes. how many people we thought had good jobs had money and then suddenly they couldn't afford to pay for intensive care unit and, services and they were even struggling to feed themselves forget about icu now then I'll, I'll tell you this this whole system has been put in place from the beginning i'll give you an example even corruption is a means of making sure money doesn't get to certain people so mm. it stays up there i'll tell you for instance even these court cases land court cases mm. in the villages they have used land wrangles to keep people away from production somebody has a piece of land totally non-disputed when they see that the person could have turned that land into something productive somebody shows out out of the blue and makes a claim on a piece of that piece of land then you end up in court six oh, yes. seven eight years no it takes longer than that sometimes even the one of the protagonists especially the owner dies okay, those prolonged land court cases also a way of making people poor because they cost money mm. and then in that time you're not producing because you can't build a house on a disputed piece of land no you can't so even all the disputes of land it's all part of a process which has been set in place by Museveni to keep people um uh, working 
but never able to accumulate wealth. So you see people, they, they can survive. You see, they stay at the level of survival, but they never actually accumulate wealth. It's impossible for them to accumulate wealth because there are so many holes in the pocket that every time you put it there, it slides out, it slides out. So now this is the system that has been put in place. Now go to other countries across us. People actually do business and accumulate wealth. And you see that they are real tycoons who are not government connected, who are just uh, astute businessmen who are uh, you have connections here and there and are doing providing some service and so on. So it's only in Uganda where the only people who actually can really, really accumulate wealth are people who have some kind of sort of connection. And it has been by design. Connection, so, uh, depending on where they come from. <laughs> things like that. And things like that. So my point is that considering that he has spent 30 years putting that system in place, can he then come up with a system that is actually now going to make people rich? No. Okay? Wow. It is. It goes against the very, the very essence of why he is president, of what his presidency is about. So now this is why we tell people that if we are ever actually going to see a prosperous country, first of all, it has to start with an enlightened population. Because the population themselves send leaders, and I'm not talking about leaders like the president, for me, it's election. Um, so I'm talking about lower level leaders. So we have to change the population to make them start asking tough questions, asking questions about their livelihoods, asking questions about their wealth, um, uh, the things that belong to them, asking questions about what kind of governance, how can all this wealth be siphoned and siphoned and siphoned and taken somewhere and the people who are in that place. I'll give you an example. Some of those people working in those Chinese gold mines, earn 5,000 shillings a day. They work from morning 7 a.m. up to 7 p.m. and they earn 5,000 shillings a day. And they are busy producing 1,000 kilos of $55 million of gold every day. And they are earning 5,000 in that day. Oh my God, let's take a break. <laughs> this is too much. This is too much. But you're listening to The Branch Talk. My name is Olive Najuma. And uh, I am with uh, Joseph Kabuleta, the founder of NEED. Now, if you're wondering what NEED stands for, it's National Economic Empowerment for Dialogue. We'll be right back. Radio. You're awesome for always listening to RX Radio and for tuning in to the Branch Talk every Saturday. If you have joined us for the first time, Branch Talk is on every Saturday at 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. with me or leave every other weekend. So make sure that we are always on your calendar so that you don't miss out on the important conversations we have with opinion leaders, with doctors, with anyone that has made news or anything that has been in the news on social media. We have conversations about all that. With me on the phone today is Joseph Kabuleta, the founder of NEED, which stands for National Economic Empowerment Dialogue. Yes, we are talking about ways through which Ugandans can get out of poverty. So, Mr. Kabuleta. Yes. I am curious... 
to know what your thoughts are on the controversial coffee deal that government signed with the Uganda Vinci Coffee Company, especially given that the said investor, Enrica Pinet, failed to deliver on the $379 million construction of the Luboa Specialized Hospital. Well, first of all, that woman is, a, is an arms dealer. I hope you know that. <laughs> is she? she? She is. She is an arms dealer. She's previously dealt with the uh, Islamic Brotherhood in Egypt and so on. And she provides arms. So she sold arms to these people. And the coffee deal is some kind of uh, way of siphoning money out of public coffers to pay her for something which they don't want to explicitly state. We are paying her for this, same as the Roboa thing. So it's um, so, it really it really is an arms deal. So That's if I may is. interject, if mm. it is really an arms deal, why is it that she signed as a witness? Because leaked documents show that she signed as a witness. On the line below Uganda Vinci Coffee Company, there was no signature. What do you mean there is no signature? Eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, now, you see, okay, I want you to know what, like, what's really, really behind it. Eh? Mm. Now, these other ones are just semantics. Okay. Who signed and who didn't sign. The thing is, they had to pay her money for arms which have been supplied. I don't know what for or who for and whatever. And the money has to come from Ugandan coffers. And it's going to come in a way that's not going to cause a lot of labor. So, so she doesn't know anything about coffee, by the way. So just um, uh, as soon as she has finished paying her money, I hope she actually just lets our coffee industry thrive and move on. And she moves on to something else. But still, but that will have about. cost us some because uh, it has to run until 2032? Of course, it's going to cost us something. Thankfully, mm. um, that agreement will be torn apart as soon as we have another government. And that's not going to be in 2032. It's going to be much sooner than that. Uh, how soon? So, 2026? <laughs> perhaps sooner so um uh, so the reality is it's just it's just a, a, a rubbish as far as i'm concerned the trouble is that it is destroying one of the most lucrative industries in the country thank you because people have been earning money of coffee even yes. if they have also hit it very badly by mm. reduced prices and so on and the, you can see that this uh, now uh, i'll continue even without talk of making people poor um, uh, for instance, you go, or even the agricultural produce, they have been giving people very depressed prices. You find people selling a kilo of tea at 500 shillings in Toro, in Chengdu, and so on. And then when you cross and take that tea to the Mombasa market where it is sold, that same kilo of Ugandan tea is going for um, uh, 4,700. And you see how can a middleman earn all that money when the farmer who has planted the invested tree, time and money time and money fertilizers and so on mm. is getting 500 and uh, somebody who is buying it from them is getting 4700 and making a difference of 4200 but that is all set in place to make sure that those farmers at the rural area do not get rich the same thing that they have depressed cop- for instance at bcu Ugisu cooperative union which um, they fought Nanda Mafabi so much to get when he was there when he became chairman of BCU, suddenly coffee prices went up from about eight, nine hundred, one thousand to ten thousand, twelve thousand. Mm. So that means that the market, of, I mean, because you know those people grow very good. Arabica they grow, coffee. yes, good Arabica yeah. coffee, and which is very valuable. But somebody comes and depresses the prices to make sure that the people who grow the coffee do not get rich. But what I'm trying to say is that even 
amidst all that depressed prices, um, people still were at least earning some sort of living off coffee. But now it has been destroyed. Whatever was left, even the stump of the tree has been completely cut down and, and uprooted using a bulldozer with this deal. And that's the, so sad. The Vinci Coffee Company yeah, deal. Yeah, and that's so sad. And of course, I see a few people written all over it. But, <laughs> you know, ultimately, the solution is going for the ultimate, the ultimate solution, which is change of leadership, regime change. So, so as we wrap up, uh, Mr. Mm. Kableta, let's turn our focus to Uganda's oil just in mm. a few minutes. Do mm. you think Ugandans will reap big, especially after signing or after the signing of the final investment decision or <laughs> there is nothing there? Um, uh, Ugandans can reap big if there is another government in place. Because that final investment decision is for oil, which is mostly in Bunyoro and West Nile, especially areas of Pakwach, which have a lot of oil. But then there is a lot of oil that is being, Kapchorwa has a lot of oil, which I'm telling they are already selling crude, okay? And Mm. the people have been chased off pieces of land, and they are even threatening to take the government to East African, you know, Court of Justice. Uh, because their land has been taken away completely, they were chased away, their cows were taken, women were raped, people were killed, and so on, until they were forced to run away from the land to save their lives. And then the next thing, the land was fenced off, and now it's, uh, they, 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 are, they are seeing tracks of oil and so on. Um, uh, this oil being discovered in so many places. Kayunga has oil. That's why there's a lot of controversy over the LC5. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. After the death of uh, the NUP. After the murder. (laughs) (laughs) It was suicide. (laughs) At least that is the official statement. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm saying. But imagine somebody has just run for election, Mm. won election, been announced as the leader. And uh, in the first few days in office, he commits suicide. How feasible is that? I exactly. mean, that, that can only pass in Uganda. And, and, and not that he even has any history of having threatened. And so people don't just wake up and commit suicide. There wasn't We're even a, a suicide yeah. note or anything. Exactly. Especially when they have just won a big election. <laughs> and, and, and have been declared winner. If they had not declared him winner, then you say maybe he was very frustrated. Mm. But he has been declared winner. So that was... But then... The thing is, LC5 chairman are very important in as far as allocating land. The oil which is there, there are so many banene who are now fencing off square miles of land mm. in that area. Mm. So many banene, square miles of land are being so fenced off. So what you're saying that is that... Man, the, the that ca- man was standing in the way of that. Ah, so it was um, important that uh, um, an NRM candidate takes yeah, over. Just, let's just say that his death was convenient for certain people. <laughs> hmm? Let's just put it that way. So that, that, that's, the, that's the country we live in. Oh my God. This has been a very interesting conversation. I wish we had more time, but I will surely be on your phone to get you back because there is okay. so much we didn't even tap into. Okay. Okay. Thank you, thank you so, so much. much. For me. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Okay, you're welcome. Bye. Wow, that was an amazing conversation. If you didn't have a good time, I don't know what you are looking for because there was so much 
to learn. There was so much to pick out. And as a Ugandan, I am concerned, and I think you should be concerned too, about the natural wealth of our country. How much of the national cake are you taking home? Isn't this the time when we start asking ourselves questions like, okay, we have oil, how do I get into myself or my family or the people that I know? How do I get into a space of making sure that I partake some of that? And I'm not talking about partaking in um, unclear ways. I'm saying that this is the time, like Joseph Cableta said, when we should start asking questions and demanding to partake of that which belongs to us. It's more like reclaiming what truly belongs to us as Ugandans. This has been The Branch Talk. It's been amazing, amazing. And if you just caught it at its tail, don't worry. There will be a podcast on the podcast section of the RX Radio app. Until next Saturday, my name is Olive and bye-bye. You're listening to RX Radio.